and we are kicking off episode number 11 on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I am Jason Dewey. Very excited to be hosting this show. Of course, alongside will be head coach Frank Monica. We're going to talk some LHSAA playoffs. I'm going to recap the local college weekend with a big win from LSU in a tight matchup and a, a tough loss for Tulane. And of course, we're going to go ahead and talk to special guest Sam Spiegelman this week which is a recruiting analyst for on three recruiting. And we're going to look at possibility of maybe the Catholic league splitting being beneficial. And then football one-on-one we'll talk about defensive coverage. So we want to bring on head coach, Frank Monica coach. Sometimes after your biggest win, you have to win a, a tight, tough game. And that's what LSU had to do this weekend. And uh, Tulane had a big one and just kind of came on the wrong end of it. We'll get into those details later, but um when you when you're able to win after a, a really tough, hard fought game, it's tough to get that energy back up. And LSU did just enough to eke out that win. I think you know, give it a lot of credit. I agree with that. I think Coach Kelly did a great job of keeping them focused there. You go on the road in SEC and you win against a, a dangerous Arkansas team. You know, I think that's, that's credit to them. Uh, it wasn't pretty, but but uh, believe me, it's a W, and you take that any day in the SEC. It's like an NFL game. When you win a game, you, you've done something. You've accomplished something. But give Arkansas credit. They had a great scheme to, to stop the zone read. They had they, they spied on not only the quarterback, but they they had him uh, twice. They had him double covered, basically. They had a guy to take him on the end, and then all of a sudden the linebacker, safety rather, a safety, a strong safety, put him on that one. So they had a real good scheme to stop him. And it looked like I don't know if LSU offensively adjusted to that at all. But, uh, no, give them credit. Defense played incredible. You know, what can you say about this linebacker? All of a sudden, he's become a phenom. We didn't know who he was at the beginning of the year, but now he's a phenom, and, and everybody in the country is looking at this guy. Yeah, he's incredible. We'll talk about him a little bit later. But uh, we want to once again thank our, uh, our title sponsor, Ocado and Dufresne Law Firms, before we head into prep talk, which – uh, again, we're going to kind of just talk about those brackets, Coach, as we dive into the LHSAA and the games that they have to offer. Coach, we're going to start out the same as last week. We're going to go Division One in non-select to lead things off. A few interesting matchups here in this week, and one that we mentioned is probably the one you have to highlight is Zachary versus West Monroe. Maybe not the West Monroe teams that we've heard about in the past as much, but Again, Zachary seems to be a team on a mission this year. They, they played phenomenal, only two losses on the year, and it'll be fascinating to see them take on West Monroe at home. Yeah, they'll still be a dangerous team. You know, that West Monroe, you're exactly right, it's not the same team. Zachary's a five seed, but very, very good. You saw them before <clears> in the Superdome. They have a lot, a lot of skill, good quarterback and stuff like that. I mean, you know, so they've been there. They've battle-tested, so look for them to defeat West Monroe. Now, a lot of these that we're talking about, Jay, we just – well, all we did was purge some of the teams that we we thought that would be competitive games because even though it's a second round, a lot of these games will probably be one-sided games. And uh, you could get some surprises, but we doubt. I think the ones that we highlighted would be our best game. And uh, We also had one, you know, Denham Springs and Benton. Uh, Benton is a sleeping school. I mean, they play, came down here to play Newman earlier in the year, and Newman defeated them. They played number nine, Denham Springs. So that could be a real good game. A good friend of mine that actually coaches there, and, um, you know, he knows what he's doing. So don't be a bit surprised to see them advance another step. Uh, and the other one in D- D1, uh, we got Destrian and Dustown. And, and you heard, you know, you heard a lot of people talk about Destrian and all the, the D1 guys they have. And a, a possible dome team, uh, Dustown, I think, is I don't know if they have the firepower to stay up with them because Destrian is really good on, on both sides of the ball. But that's basically some of the matchups we like on D1. That's uh, on the, the public school side. 
on the D2 side, you know, we have at number 13, Cecilia, who's another pretty good football team against North Dakota, who's got a, a D1 guy at the receiver position. And uh, they could that could be a real, real fine ball game. Cecilia's coming on at the end of the year. Uh, you also have Lakeshore right down there with their wing tee. I uh, talked to that coach today, Coach Indes, and they're going to get Opelousa, and he's, he's scared to death. Opelousa runs shoot-to-shoot. They have a monster offensive and defensive line. They have a real good running back. They're the number three seed. They, you know, naturally, they had to buy last week. And, and, uh, and, and so, but Lakeshore, with that wing tee, can really, really fool some people. Sometimes, if you don't know what you're doing, you can't find the football. Also, in D2, I think a real good matchup. Saw both these teams play during the year. St. Martinville versus Lutcher. And, uh, you know, Lutch has got the real good quarterback, but St. Martinville has several players, and I'm, I'm sure they have, they have the speed to match Lutch's speed. And uh, the advantage there is Lutch is going to be a home team there. So look for that one to be a real tight uh, a tight ball game. It would be fun to watch. Yeah, Coach, uh, we both we kind of talked about Lutcher maybe being one of those teams that's been kind of a sleeping giant to look out for. And I think St. Martinville definitely has a, a quality ball club, but we, we both really like Lutch's odds to kind of make a run at that, but St. Martinville definitely has the talent to maybe put up a fight in that one. Exactly. Uh, moving to D3. Now, I'm not saying these other teams are unimportant, but these are, I think, better matchups and as far as the seeds were concerned. Uh, St. James, the number four seed, taking on a tough Lorville team. And uh, Lorville is a, a very good football team, and they'll be well coached. So that could be a, a pretty surprise game, but I think St. James has more talent than Lorville has and bigger teams. They have bigger linemen. Uh, then, then we talked about this the other day, Jason, Union Parish, number three, playing Sterlington, a district rival. Uh, they're, they're, they're neighbors, and, and they, they get to play again. So I think that Sterlington might have the upper hand this time. It's just with the fact that the you know, revenge factor uh, figures into it, even though it's a playoff game and everybody's playing for, you know, the, to, stay, to stay alive. In Division Four, uh, the only really, I, I think, strong matchup we had maybe two, Welch was going against Oak Grove. Oak Grove is, you know, they've been in the Superdome a number of times. They've battle-tested. Uh, Welch is a tough, tough, scrappy team. Uh, and the other one, I think, is East Feliciana and Logansport. You know, I guess I put that one in there because East Feliciana, I remember that they could barely field 15 guys on the team. And, uh, you know, where they're located, Logansport's a very good team. Number 10 against number 7. Uh, we know that the Logansport is always an explosive football team. They will be there when it does settle. But uh, you kind of hit, you know, hit, your heart goes out to East Feliciana and those people for what they have endured over the years just to be this far in the playoffs. And um, so basically that's it on the public school side. Jason, on D1, I think that, you know, we have a matchup here in D1. And D1, as far as select's concerned, you have Brother Morton going against, against St. Aug again. Uh, that was two weeks ago. That was a 14-13 game. So uh, who knows uh, what could come out of that one. And I might add, they really have the, the best draw because if they, if they get there, they have a very, very good chance of, of going all the way to the Superdome. Uh, the winner of this ball game, I think, has an excellent chance. I would think an 80% chance of making it to the Superdome. Um, then you have 19, number 19 versus Curtis. And, you know, the Catholic League is so brutal during the year. Um, I would, I would, you know, because what happens with the Catholic League, you get injuries. And if you get healthy at the end of the year and you get in the playoffs, that could be a totally, totally different football team. It looks like Jesuit is getting better. Uh, they won three in a row. Uh, they're number 19 seed, but don't let that deceive you. And Curtis, who knows, after that car that car loss, you don't know how they're going to come out, out of this. But, uh, but but I would have to say, you know, Curtis has the best football team of the two. Uh, Jesuit is basically one-dimensional, and that, that that's going to hurt them uh, playing against a real fine defense from Curtis. Uh, number 10, Scott McGill against Carr. 
And I mean, if you had an over and under or an over in this one, you might have to put maybe 100 points on this one because Scotlandville can score. Now, Carr's got a great defense. I mean, he's they got a lot of people. Uh, they're probably the best team in the state, if not the entire South. And uh, But uh, there's the, the number seven ranking, as we all know, because of the forfeits, they really, really technically should be the number one seed. But uh, it's a shame that's how the bracket fell in, uh, th- th- this year. So, um, and number 15, Rummel, goes to Catholic High, played number two Catholic High. That's going to really, really be a tough game for Rummel just to stay in it before, or at least get it to the three quarters or four quarters. Catholic High is talented on both sides. Excellent, excellent offense. Their offense is, is better than their defense. And, uh, you know, my son just didn't know <laughs> at Rumble exactly how to attack these guys, but uh, I don't know if there's, if there's a good answer because he's got a very young defense. Uh, division two, uh, we have St. Louis and Division two on the select side. St. Louis Catholic playing Madison Prep. Madison Prep still a very talented team. Uh, you, you kind of you know this could be a good game. St. Louis looks like they 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 really found their stride though late in the, in the year here. Madison Prep is always going to be a talented football team that could and they're always physical. You know, the guys like Michael Roach is now playing for the Saints, came from there, and, and uh, that, that's kind of the football they play. Uh, Division two also, MAC 35, number 11 seed, playing against Lafayette Christian, the number six seed. Well, we know Lafayette Christian is still talented. They're very young. Uh, they got most of the guys coming back, but they're still the number six seed. But uh, listen, McDonough 35 can give them a lot of trouble because they can match their speed. Uh, Division three, here we have Loyola Prep and, and the Episcopal. Episcopal, that Coach Bruce Law does a phenomenal job with little talent, but he gets the most out of his guys. And, and uh, listen, they can sneak up on you because the style of offense that they run, they run a variation of wing tees and spreads and stuff like that. Loyola Prep look like they're coming on to the end of the year. It's so number 11 versus number 6. And, uh, and then we go down to Parkview, North Cato. Uh, we, we, that could be a number 10 against a number 7. Uh, Parkview is a, a team that's always, you know, they, they've been there before. And they have a lot of skins on the wall. Uh, North Cato has it's got a real top-notch receiver that's committed to LSU, so that could be an interesting matchup there. And uh, you know that, that that that's also you know it's also the the winner of that. And if St. Charles Catholic wins, uh, they will they will be the matchup between Parkview and North Cato. Ascension uh, Episcopal and St. Charles Catholic. Ascension Episcopal, you know, probably not the fastest team out there, but they're very very well coached. And um, and then they have to come to SEC and after the bye and. And uh, they, they could pose a, a problem for SEC because of the things that they do. But um, I think that SEC has, has a little bit more speed on the back end than they have. Division four, you have Ascension Catholic and Riverside. Now, Ascension Catholic are still very talented. Uh, Riverside looks like they've got the, 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 the great running back and quarterback by the name of email. So they, could, they can actually score a lot of points on you in a hurry. And the Ascension Catholic is going to have to play real good defense, but that could be a pretty good matchup. Riverside, really right now, they're a little concerned because the lack of the district schedule of actually being pushed during the year. They really haven't been tested for a little while. Uh, and, and number nine, Southern Labs is going to go against St. Frederick. So that's an eight and a nine. And those, you know, that power ranking system, you'd be surprised how close it comes and it kind of pairing teams up like that. And and uh, so that, that could be an interesting matchup. Uh, St. Frederick from coming from Monroe. And, and last but not least is Opelousas Catholic and Central Catholic. Opelousas Catholic came on at the end of the year. Central Catholic is the number two seed and has played a real, real good schedule. So that could be an interesting matchup as well. Yeah, a lot of great matchups this weekend. One that stands out, as you mentioned, through the, those games, I think Sterlington Union Parish is really going to be a tough one. 
I know Union Parish has Trey Holly, who is a freak show of a running back. Now is the leading all-time rusher in Louisiana high school football history. An incredible back. They only beat Sterlington by eight points earlier this season. Not quite the season Sterlington wanted to have, but as you mentioned, Coach, everybody has something to play for. And when you're playing a rival, you got a little bit of extra chip on your shoulder. I can see that one Amen. going either way. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's go ahead and look at the local college football recap where we, we did kind of already dig into some of that um, at the top. Uh, LSU went on the road and beat Arkansas 13-10. to 10. A very sloppy game for LSU despite even going forward on – couldn't even go forward on forward down right. You had the ball on your own 25. You – you uh, jump off sides. You have a holding call on a fake punt. I mean, and then, you know, it, that's kind of the way the game went for LSU. It was very sloppy, but they ran the ball extremely well, and they played incredible defense. But, you know, what's crazy to me, Coach, is that the impact that a freshman is having on the field and the guy that they claim doesn't even fully understand the, the defense to the full extent. And, oh, by the way, he had the flu. So he's sick before the game and still has a game like that. Harold Perkins is an absolute freak show, and the comparisons have been made, and we're hearing the name Tyron Matthew, and he definitely has a similar feel. He's a guy who, if he continues to improve and, and understand the defense and find his way, Coach, he's going to be special. That's a, he's a top three, top five pick, like maybe, yeah, I, even, I, maybe even this year. Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of funny how he wasn't even on the field early in the year, didn't play very much against Tennessee. And really what happens, and no matter what they're saying, they didn't have a package for him, he didn't fit in there. No, they really didn't know him. And uh, it's sometimes it takes you have to get into the fire itself. And then that's what really happened is that they, all of a sudden they discover this guy, wait a minute now, uh, he's been on the bench, but he's, he's better than we thought he was. So, so I mean, coaches, uh, they can make excuses all they want to, but that happens all the time. When a guy gets in, here comes another guy, he does that. So credit to them. But, you know, I, all the signs of, of being, and I hate to use flat, but not being intense, I think that's a better phrase, is uh, we're there, sloppy tackling, drop passes, uh, illegal procedures, a lack of focus, all of those come into play with that. But um, but anyway, they got the W. That's the most important thing, keeps their hopes alive. Uh, they have to be very, very careful about this week because they have a team coming in there that's, that's going to kind of be hungry. And uh, so let's hope that they don't start reading their press clippings. Yeah, they do have a UAB team which has beat LSU in Death Valley before, although it was 22 years ago. Again, it's still very possible for happening. Uh, Tulane had a tough loss this week, Coach. They dropped 38-31 to against UCF. UCF is, as advertised, I mean, they're a very good team, but Tulane continued to fight. They were down a couple scores late in the game, drove down the field, put up a touchdown by an incredible play by the quarterback. Uh, Pratt made ducked under a tackle and found the receiver open just a little bit too late in the game. And Tulane still has a lot to play for. Season's not over they, after this one game. They had, they had so many if-onlys in this ball game. You know, they had, they had so many chances to drop a touchdown pass. They dropped a big third-down pass early in the first drive. Uh, they, they fumbled a ball on, on the mesh. That's something that's uncommon. Uh, they had a couple offsides and things like that. They had uh, one, one defensive back hit, hit three interference calls. One of them was very, very questionable. And uh, another was on, was on the fourth down. They give them the ball. So, you know, Coach Fritz said that he alluded to that we made some mistakes in that one ball game that they, they hadn't done all year long. And they got really, really behind early. 
and it was hard to come back against a real good uh, team, but they did. They did come back and they had a chance to tie it at the end. Uh, so they will correct those. They will correct those errors. I mean, how do you correct though a punt? Here's a punt. A guy's blocking one of the gutters, gunners, and, and, and he hits him, and they get the ball right there and they go in for a score. So those kind of things that just happen in a big ball game. And I, I got a lot of confidence that they're well coached. I got a lot of confidence this football team go bounce back against SMU this week. And in fact, it's going to be on Thursday night. Coach, there was also that fumble that was um from ucf did you did you catch that play and did you think that was a fumble it looked it looked like the ball was coming out to me and they i believe they overturned it or they they kept it i'm not sure if they kept it on the field but it was a, a fumble by the quarterback the ball appeared they to be loose it. on the way to the ground and i i disagreed with the call it, it looked like yeah. it was on the turf and i believe that led to six points yeah, they, they did, and they, they overturned that call. You're exactly right, Jay. So, you know, that's part of the game, And but, you know, with the instant replay, you like to think that they can get that right. But after watching the Buffalo game yesterday in, in Minnesota, I said, well, anything is possible now. Another game we want to talk about was Southeastern taking on Nichols. The game is going to be at Nichols. Big rivalry matchup, Coach. And, you know, Southeastern has a lot to play for. Nichols has that chance to play spoiler in, against an in-state rival, and, Again, it's a, an opportunity for them to to show that they can still compete against the best in the in their conference. No question. I think this is a big, big game for Coach Selfall, uh, not only for the conference championship, but also for an opportunity for him to get in, in into the playoffs with with, a, with some kind of mm -hmm. beard there. And I think Coach Ribo and them remembers this has always been a tight ball game. You know, no matter where they play, they always play on Thursday. It's on television. And uh, so this has always been a great, great rivalry between the two schools. And that's what it's supposed to be like. You're supposed to play teams like this. And, and uh, you like to see more matchups with, with local schools like this. And, and uh, both coaches, good friends of mine. And, in fact, uh, Coach Rebo was on a couple weeks ago. And uh, hopefully Coach Selfo will come on with us next weekend. And, and uh, so it will be an interesting game for us to watch, uh, along with Tulane and SMU. Everyone went and changed gears here and look, take a look at the Saints and um, their game this weekend. Coach, Saints. Drop another one. Uh, this time it was the Steelers, twenty to ten. What, what can the Saints do schematically, or just what? What do you think at this point in the season they can do to, to turn things around? It, again, I, it feels like the season slipped away at this point, and the problem is it's not like you can fail into getting a high draft pick. You traded that away. So at so, this point, how do you turn things around if you're the Saints? Because you're you're so far in debt in terms of the players that are on your roster, dead cap. You can't trade them. You can't cut them. And you're still continuing to lose. So what, what do they do from here? Well, you know, Jason, number one, everybody's going to look at the quarterback. I mean, you know, and, and really it's not all his fault. I mean, uh, look at the offensive line. He's got three new starters in the offensive line. He's got a brand-new center. He had, to, he had to juggle some guys right there. Can't get guys on the field. I mean, his uh, Michael Thomas plays 10 games in, in three years. Uh, Marcus Lattimore, what's happened to him? I mean, you know, what kind of stomach ailment does he have? I don't know. We don't understand that. They're not disclosing any of that stuff. That's one of the best corners, all pro corner, and he's not even on the field. So they have to rely on, on young young cornerbacks out there that, that get an interference call, which I might add, I think a lot of those are bogus. I mean, when you look at most completions, um, and then the, the one in the end zone, the, the tight end pushes off on the guy, and they, they call it interference on him. As, I mean, the league needs to, needs to look at that a little bit more. But getting back to it, one, they got to get their players on the field. Uh, two, uh, I would like to see if Tyson Hill is going to be run some wildcat, 
He's good enough to roar. They have no throws with him. He has to also throw the ball a little bit because as soon as they see a wildcat come in, they're going to cram the line of scrimmage. They're going to put that strong safety in your lap. He's like an extra linebacker and stuff like that. I like to see that a little bit more. And naturally, I think, you know, their offense is predicated on, on, on Camaro. And, uh, you know, there's is Ingram on the sideline again and stuff like that. So not all the blame. If they want to go to Winston, fine. I don't know if that's going to be the solution. I think that there's a lot of blame to go around. The best linebacker is out and he's not making plays. I think you look at the injury list right now and see who's available and who's practicing, who's not. Um, I heard somebody say that, you know, even Matthew, I think Matthew doesn't have that extra step he used to have. Jarvis Landry just got back on the field. Those guys are, are sort of, they're good football players, but they're retreads. And I think that the bottom line is that, that the, uh, they have to play better as a team. Uh, naturally, everybody says the same thing, whatever that means. But I don't. I think that locker room is probably pretty clean. I really feel badly for Coach Allen because I really think that he's a good man. He's an excellent football coach. And uh, But, you know, sometimes you need to get on these guys. Excuse my expression. You need to get on their ass a little bit to get them moving. Coach, do you think they, of course, the fans are kind of, not happy with the current state of the team. Do you think it's fair for Coach Allen to be getting the the heat that he is when it, it seems like they've been kind of biding their time, playing for now, really giving up all their draft stock and capital to where it, it looks like this is going to be a tough hole to climb out of. And it, 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 when you look at the immediate impact, you see losses. But when you look down the road, you see there's nothing to restock with. We have nothing. We have no bargaining chips because all these players are going to count against our cap so who's really to blame in this situation i, I don't know I, I i think whatever's happening internally is, is happening and how you get how you get guys that got these bogus injuries and uh, i mean michael thomas has an interior toe now most that's not even operable i don't know what you do with something like that and then the other guy has a stomach ailment and i mean great players but i don't understand what's going on with that and uh, are they hiding behind a big fat contract? I don't know. I remember Spark Anderson said, you know, a long time ago, give me 25 guys that in the last year they contract and I'll give you a pennant winner. You know, so uh, I really don't know if there's an answer there, Jason. I just hope that they can rebound and play better and maybe get on a little run and, and who, knows, who knows what will take place. All right, so that'll do it for our first segment. And uh, in our next segment, we're going to have special guest Sam Spiegelman, National Recruiting Analyst. And in our Let's Be Frank segment, we are going to have a coach discussing the possibility of maybe being beneficial for the Catholic League to split defensive coverages and more. And before we head to break, we're going to go ahead and thank our title sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms. Samuel Accardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. 
Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with R&K Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King LaPlace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boudreaux and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Tonight, our special guest is a graduate from the Philip Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland, is a former high school reporter for NOLA.com, and is a current national recruiting analyst at ON3. We want to welcome our special guest, Sam Spiegelman. Sam, you've been covering this area for quite some time. Um, And, you know, what about this class in Louisiana stands out to you this year as opposed to other years? Probably that uh, Arch Manning is right at the top, and that that's such a unique experience um, to cover someone like Arch and, and what he means to this, this not only the city of New Orleans, but the state of Louisiana. And clearly what we've seen over the last three or four years is what he means to the entire country. Um, you know, Coach can attest to this. We've had some incredible players that come through Louisiana year in and year out. Um, when I got here, it was, you know, it was Leonard Fournette and Dante Jackson and Every year, it recently, Mason Smith, the number one player in the country out of home of Louisiana. Um, but, you know, covering Arch and, and him being the face of this 2023 class has been, it's been spectacular. I think the attention that he brings to New Orleans, to, to Louisiana, and, and the, the football in, in our state, I think it's spectacular. The question is, Sam, this is Frank. Listen, thank you so much for doing this for us. I think, you know, it really heightens the awareness of our show and it certainly gives us a lot more integrity rather than just have me just lie to people all the time. So I appreciate <laughs> it. But, but Sam, you know, the um, the in recruiting, I, when I was at Tulane, I, I, I recruited for 12 years in there. And I remember our AD, Kevin White, who's now, I think, Kevin's at Duke University. 
he brought us in and said, listen, he said, Louisiana ranks fifth in the country in Division I football players. And uh, from that time on, our head coach, Buddy Tevens, he pulled a lot of guys. We had guys in Chicago, Florida, New York, and he brought them in and brought them into Louisiana. And with that move, uh, that team, he was no longer there to see it. But Tommy Bowden went 12-0 and with most of those guys from that football team. So what you're saying is really, really correct. Uh, I have a question, Sam, that, that, that I've been meeting to ask a, a lot of recruiting guys. You know, how do you arrive? How do recruiting guys arrive at the so-called three stars, four stars, five stars? Can you explain that to us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and this is a, a nuance to me. I probably learned this five or six years ago. But the basis behind three stars is saying that by three stars is the equivalent of saying you are a power five player. I think by now in 2022, um, you know, that it, what is a power five player at this point? Because there's there's so many athletes and they they I think they're people start training so early to, to be, a, a, you know, a college football player or a college division one athlete. Um, that we see it in Groves that there's not enough players that only sign power five talent, you know, like there are power five players at Tulane right now. And the introduction of the NCAA transfer portal makes it even more efficient for power five players to play at non power five schools. But back to your original question. So three stars is the equivalent to a power five level player. When you start getting into the four star players, you're talking about second and third round picks, the top 200 to 300 players in the entire country. And then on, on a given year, you could have, up to 32 five-star players just representing the, the not only the best players in the country but the top 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 of the top charts of the entire country the the 32 players that you believe will be called to the first 32 picks of the nfl draft one day okay that the uh you know because being a former recruiter myself sam i always wonder i used to have a sports writer come in my office and he would get my list <laughs> and he would get my list and then he talked about he really didn't see the guys uh, then he would get the list and then he would publish the list of, based on that. And that's when we kept that very, very confidential. Didn't want it to get out. But, you know, my, my next question, do, do, how do you feel about highlight tapes? Um, I think if done, if done correctly, they can be very helpful. Um, uh, nowadays, you get a, a mixed bag. I think um, Lindsey Scott, uh, coach you know from, from Zachary, the state champion, one of the Gatorade Player of the Year. Played for six years, yeah. Yeah, had the best highlight tape ever. It was categorized by passes, um, by by runs, <laughs> by designed runs. It was it was perfect, and it was concise in three minutes. Nowadays, you get ten minute highlight tapes. You get your first three game highlights, your first six game highlights. Um, I think it's it's I think it can be done, and I think it's necessary. Um, I think it's for someone in my job. I think it's absolutely necessary. You can only be at one game on a Friday night, as you know, and and you know while you want to be at so many places. You know, you also have to maintain, you know, the, the wife at home and, and keep friendships and relationships in your family to be at all the games each weekend you want to be. So highlight tapes are essential and, and done correctly can go a long way. Well, you know, personally, I used to love to, to, to I think that it catches your attention first, but I always wanted to make sure I went through game tape because I've never seen a bad highlight tape. Have you? <laughs> so so nope, I always, nope. always wanted to go through a game tape to see the good part of and the bad part. And I, I thought... For me, I always wanted to make sure I saw a live game and practices because I, th I think a lot of things nowadays are, are just subjective until you see that live. And and no doubt, and coach, you know, when you when you go to a practice, when you go to a game, you, like you said, one, if you're doing a full evaluation, if you want to see a quarterback, I would never take a quarterback in my recruiting class without seeing him every single snap. And not only, um, you know, just how he plays on a snap-to-snap -snap basis, how does he lead? 
um, from the sidelines. What does his coaches say about him? What do his teammates say about him? You can tell a lot by their demeanor, as you know, coach. Um, and, and you can get that in, in spades. And, you know, you develop relationships with coaches where, you know, they'll call you when, when they have a player and, and they'll be, you know, hopefully honest with you about the level that they think they can be at. And you learn so much more about the, the actual character of that recruit and I think that, that can help elevate someone from a four to a five or whatever you want to call it. But you can really tell the good ones from when, seeing, when you see them in person and hearing what their teammates and people close to them say about them. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I, I always believe the same as really looking at their work ethic, to watch them on the field, watch their practice habits and things like that, their, their leadership. Uh, because uh, one thing I always felt like I needed to network a kid. I didn't just want to talk to that head coach that was just going to sell me somebody. You know, I wanted to network and talk to an assistant on the side talk to a trainer, make sure he wasn't in the training room every other day and something, something like that, you know, but uh, the other things, how do you feel about staff? Because, you know, as parents would come to my office all the time and say, well, coach, you know, he's got a thousand yards here. He's all district. He's all, he's all carport, Mr. Cucumber. You know, why can't, why can't he get a, a full scholarship? No, I, I, yeah, stats are nice, right? Um, you know, if you, if you run the right offense coach, you know, you can, you can really pile up the numbers and, you give a, a running back, you know, like Elijah Davis at Riverside, the ball 40 times a game, he's going to turn out 300, 400 yards a game. That's just what's going to happen at that level of football. I think stats can be really important. I think, you know, if you want to tell for a quarterback, their completion percentage, um, you know, if you want to you check on their touchdown interception ratio, if, you, if you're looking for, you know, a, a defensive lineman, you want to see their, some of their production. But you also know that a defensive tackle might not have eight sacks in a season. They might not have eight sacks in their entire career. But if they're occupying blockers in the middle of the defensive line, that's more important to open up for those numbers for, for the linebackers and the defensive ends. And you know the whole deal. So to me, yes, stats can tell the story. But it's like you said, um, you know, if you're going to do a full evaluation, if you're going to get a scholarship, that's coming off more than just stats. You know, stats, stats can be deceiving. Uh, if I was in your shoes, coach, I would put all my best players on defense because you would manufacture offense. And those stats would be very deceiving until you got their 40 times and their heights and weights and, and all the other X factors that go into a full evaluation. Yeah, you're so, so right. I, I, I agree with that, Sam. <laughs> you know, the, the other thing, I mean, is the level of competition. Uh, there's some, like, for instance, one of the kids you just mentioned, he's got a lot of, a lot of yards and he is a good back. I've seen him. He's, a, you know, he's a D1 guy, strong, powerful. But there are a lot of them out there. They're playing in, in districts that not really, really tough. It's not their, it's not their fault. But, but you have to evaluate the competition that they're playing, and that's why a lot of people gravitate to the bigger schools. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. And I think, you know, if you were going to do it at a, a 1A, a 2A, a 3A level, a smaller classification, you need to, you need to be the best player on the field on a, on a given night. Um, I think you can, you can argue that about Derek Stingley Jr. at the Dunham School. Um, every time he touched the field, no matter who he played against, he was always the best player. Um, or uh, it's Monday Night Football and Devontae Smith from A. Mead is up there. And every time he, he played offense, defense, special teams, quarterback, punted, you know, he did everything for A. Mead. And if you're going to play that lower classification, um, you're going to have to kind of show it. You know, people are, are always going to be skeptical and, and it's understood. You know, you're going against, uh, you know, you're not going against the bigger, deeper teams with all the talent. So you better dominate. And I think if you can dominate at that level, then I think that can translate to Saturdays.
No question, Sam. You know, um, our wives can pick out a super duper player. You know what I mean? But, but I think recruiting comes comes down to an opinion. Basically, uh, what do you think this guy has? The intangibles that you that you that you have to see. I think that those things are so important in, in in recruiting. And some of the guys you just mentioned, you know, they're slam dunks. But on the flip side, you don't know what's internal. Uh, when I was at Tulane, we recruited a guy that that won one game in two years, one game. But his coach. It was a he was a guy that I respected. His coach said, "Coach, take a chance on him." His name was Dewan Dawson, and he ended up playing for Tulane. Uh, he was the only offer he had was was Tulane, and he went on to play with the Houston Texans. And since that time, he passed away. So sometimes you overturn the stone, especially in Louisiana, because we don't have all the funds we need. We don't have all the great facilities in Louisiana, and we have a very very small coaching staff. So I think Louisiana is a diamond in the rough. Would you agree with that? Without question, wouldn't hesitate to agree with that. Um, and, and you said it, you know, I, I, I spend a, a good amount of time in, in Texas. And then I, you know, I live here in New Orleans um, and, and I live by Warren Easton. And, and you see the field that they practice on. They're the resources that the kids have in Louisiana, they, they don't have it. That's, that's the, the moral of the story. Um, it's a shame. But, and, and there's a lot of small towns, um, you know, where, where if they had more, you, you'd wonder what those kids would be able to do. Um, this And it, how, how many times can you go to a town and not even know where the town is? You know, in my, I, I feel like I, I go to a different town every single year. I've lived in Louisiana for 10 plus years. Um, that's the beauty of, of this, this town is uh, this town, the state, um, you know, and you, you mentioned it, the highest draft capita per state is the smallest state and produces the most NFL talent. A lot of it goes on un, undiscovered and it kind of goes to what you say. Sometimes it's about those relationships from going to those live evaluations, going to games on Friday nights, going to practices, seeing what kids are like, because you can find, you know, not everyone's going to play for a 10-0 and Destrahan team. Um, some kids yeah. are going to have to play for the 2-8 the, the and eight teams. And, but that doesn't mean there's no talent there. It doesn't mean there's kids that are going to develop maybe two or three years later and need to go to a college program and put on weight and get the, the proper nutrition and all the other X factors. Right, right. You know, some of these little small towns, you, you're exactly right. That like You go to a meet you know, where the train stop just for kicks, you know, like that, but, but they got, they got, they got great players, you know, stuff of that nature. You know, a quick story. When I was coaching, I mean, at Tulane, I was recruiting a, a school and I was very good friends with this coach. I went in that school maybe seven, eight years in a row. And he would tell me, I have no players for you. I have no players. I got none this year. I got one, but he's not very good with the grades. I got one. All yeah. of a sudden that one year I went there, he said, Frank, I got three. And you know what? He was right. So you have to know who to believe. You know, you have to know. One of them was a guy by the name of Jamaican Dortes, who, who actually ended up playing it at Tulane for a long, for a long time. So, but my question to you, Sam, what about the, the grades? How's the GPA and the ACTs in, in terms of that? Do you guys research that also? No, that's something that you, you generally uh, you, you hear about probably, you know, from, from those lab evaluations, you hear from the, from those coaches and, um, you know, the, the biggest advice, you know, everyone wants, like kind of what you mentioned, coach, everyone wants to know how to be a three-star and a four-star and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. no one is going to offer anyone until they talk to the coach and get the approval to, get, to give an offer. So you might have all the talent in the world, but if your coach says you got a bad GPA and you're not going to, not going to graduate, um, he's going to have to go to JUCO. No one's going to offer you. So it, it's a huge part of the evaluation. Um, you know, there's a ton of great, great players that have to go take the JUCO route, but the JUCO route, as you know, is extremely rigorous it's not for the the, the faint-hearted um it, it's on top of being a fantastic athlete you have to overcome the the education side and it's an uphill battle um and then like you said like small towns here they don't have all the resources at the juco level so mm -hmm. if we can use this platform put the emphasis 
on, on all the off-season training, all the weight room stuff, all the spring football, also focus on the grades. That's, that's equally as, as important to this equation. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, Sam, some of them have fast feet and slow minds. You know how that works. You know? so, <laughs> <laughs> Sam, are you somewhat connected to any of the universities where they, they get your service and, and stuff like that? You don't have to mention who they are, but are, are some of the universities connected? Because I know there was collegiate sports data was one of those for a long, long time. Uh, are you connected with anyone? No, I'm not. Mm-hmm. But that's that's not bad. That's not bad. So you're independent. Basically, you're not you're not. It's, it's, it doesn't show any type of favoritism to some schools. And Sam, what about are you familiar with the athletes? I understand that Destrian High School just has a, a number of, of D1 guys. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, I've got Destrian twice this season. They've been uh, man. I don't want to. I don't want to get Coach Scott to, to get mad at me, but uh, they would be my pick right now in uh, in five A if I was going to unveil my bracket. I agree. I agree, Sam. <laughs> I agree. I, I coach Coach Scott, so Marcus Scott, so he won't get mad yeah. at you because he's too good. Of, he's too good of a guy. He's not a, a butthole like me, but he's a nice. He's a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, no, Desterhan, co- Coach. You want to talk about winning formula? They got multiple running backs, including a, a junior, Shane Lee who's a, a stout running back, but he's got powerful lower body, which you'd expect from Destrahan. They feed him the rock. They got Jai Eugene Jr. Everyone who's listening to this knows who his dad is. But Jai committed to Tulane. Um, what I look for in, in a recruit coach, and I think you would attest to this, someone who gets better every single year, Jai was a fantastic underclassman. He's continued to ascend. He's playing out of position at quarterback. He can make plays throwing the ball, which is just – I think he could play quarterback at a, at a group of five level, no question. Um, obviously, he's going to play defensive back like his dad when he gets to Tulane. Um, but some of the things, the athletic ability, the decision-making, the versatility of their offense, they have they go five or six deep. Um, obviously, they have talent at, their, at the wide receiver position, starting with Leslie Jefferson, who's a big, long receiver that can stretch the field. But they got playmakers. I think Daniel Blood is one of the steals of – you talked about gems. Daniel Blood is one of them. He just picked up an SEC offer from Missouri. I know that Tulane mm-hmm. really likes him. But they also got a bunch of, of underclassmen over there. Um, Johnny Thiel, um, is, uh, everyone knows his dad from, from Curtis and then East St. John and, and, and Johnny Thiel, the, the next wave, and he's going to be a standout in that 2025 class. They go extremely deep, Jabari Mack um, and speed. Um, and then defensively, they have two big defensive tackles that are completely under-recruited. One's a senior, one's a junior. I think one is 6'3", 280. The other is 6'2", you know, 270. They're big in the middle, and they got collage Cobbins coming off the edge. Um, one of the best edge rushers, not only in the state, but in the country. And he blew up last year. I think he led the state in tackles quietly at Desterhan. And they have a secondary filled with D- D1 talent. Leonard Harris is going to ULM. Um, and then Anthony Robinson is one of my favorite juniors in the state. Um, he's got some early SEC offers, and he flies to the football, one of those hybrid safety linebackers that, you know, you just want on your defensive side of the ball to, to kind of set the tone. Yeah, I heard I heard a lot about them. I heard there were nine. I talked to coaches that have played them. Uh, also, there's a Winfield kid at, at Lutcher, Sam. If, uh, I think I, I've seen him play a couple of times. He's, he's an excellent player. I don't know if he's a, a true D1 quarterback, but he is something. Have you seen him? I've, I've seen Dewanye. Um I, I think the kids call him lunch, and, man, he, he brings it every single week. I don't know. I think he, again, kind of like the same thing with Jai Eugene Jr. I think he could play at a power five level um, at maybe an athlete position. I think he could play group of five quarterback, no question. He is, but on Friday nights, coach, he is the real deal. Um, 
with the with the game on the line, I don't know how many more players in the entire state you would want to, to lead your offense. And um, one of those players who's, you know, you, when you play for Coach Jenkins, he, he, he leans on you and he's come through in so many big moments. Um, he's someone going into the playoffs that can really just be the difference in one of these close games. No question. Coach, there's, there's a couple in New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans is just loaded with athletes. I mean, you know, you can take a bus and car and, and put the put his whole defense on on the field and say, well, put it this way. I mean, they, they could probably compete in the in the Sun Belt conference, conference as a team right now. And then uh, I saw two the other night: the big tackle from uh, from uh, John Errett, the big tackle that's committed to LSU, and they have a quarterback mm-hmm. over there, Coach. I'm telling you, there's a quarterback over there by the name of Falgu. He's not really tall, mm-hmm. but but this this kid's got some, he's got some jets. I mean, and um, you know, I, I saw the the kid. Um, from Romo that 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 actually recruited by LSU, I saw him not catch that guy. I mean, that guy was extremely fast. Have you heard about those guys? Yeah, Coach. Uh, well, let's start it right at the top. Um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned who'd you start with? Um, well, he's talking the John Ar- the John Arrett offensive tackle. He's playing out of position. I think he's going to move inside when he gets to LSU. But Coach, you saw how big he is. Um, he's I was told he was. He was over 350 pounds at the beginning of the summer. Um, he lost a ton of weight, and I think he's really light on his feet. So I think when you mm-hmm. start tra- how that translates to the SEC, he's got a whole other, you know, a year or two before he even gets to LSU, what he's going to look like, what his body's going to look like. I like how powerful he is, but also athletic. Um, I know his quarterback is Royal Falgoot. Um, his, his older brother, I believe, played defensive back at Tulane. Um, again, this is an, under, an under-recruited kid, but a, a high school playmaker um this entire Eric team got turned around once royal was healthy and you saw them make it to the playoffs and end up winning their district because of royal's return and allowing mm-hmm. wardell mack their top 100 cornerback that they got at Eric um to play some receiver and then also play a little bit more on defense um but you're exactly who, who right uh, I, I, you know, st charles is a junior by the name of kyle cannon this could be pretty good samari scott is a senior that I don't know if he's a college running back, but he's a six one and a half, two hundred fifteen pound back that's really really getting some attention. He's got a couple of small offers, but he he might be something else. I know Mississippi State showed some interest in him uh, and stuff like that. But but he's a he's a very very smart kid and just learning to play the game really. But uh, anyone yeah, else he, along he the fly- river? He, yeah, he was flying off. Uh, Samari was he was returning punts. He plays running back for St. Charles. Saw him play right. a little bit of stand-up linebacker off the ball, and he he can really get to the sidelines. Yeah, he's raw, but if he, he's someone with size and speed, he's got some, you know, not the fastest track times, but I like that he runs track. He's a long strider. I don't think he's going to burn you with that length. Um, I like I like his position versatility. You mentioned car coach. I think this is the best car defense they've had since Gerald Willis was there. Um, they got uh, they got a, an off the off the ball linebacker, Jonathan Back, who I think might be the best defensive player in the state. Um, He's been absolutely terrific. He's got violent hands. He's got speed. He's He's got relentless pursuit. Um, I, I love how he bends and how he moves um, and how he also can defend the sideline. Um, and then you mentioned Ashton Stamps, the, the LSU commit on Rummel. Um, I think he just makes a, a ton of plays for them, not only, not only on the back end and the secondary coach, but I like how he makes plays on special teams. And I think, listen, not everyone is going to make the starting lineup right away as a freshman or, you know, or a sophomore even. But if you can make a difference on special teams, that's going to get you a leg up. I agree, because he can punt return and kickoff return. He's, he's long. He's very long. You know, five, they say, four, say five that, speed. Yeah. Don't they say that speed never has an off day? 
you know, so that's, a, that, that's important, you know, uh, things like that. But, uh, but Sam, I, I really appreciate, I really appreciate you taking your time uh, with us. Uh, very, very insightful. You're very knowledgeable. You can tell you do your homework and, and things like that, you know, so, um, I hope that hope and pray that somewhere along the line, we get a chance to meet one another. I'll treat you to some, uh, just some uh, dead chicken or something one day. <laughs> Coach, I know we'll, we'll. I'll see you sometime in the Superdome. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch up there, and we'll. Uh, we'll I'm, I'm curious to see who's going to make it there this year. But uh, you know, every year the Superdome for for state championships is always the best best time of the year. And I appreciate you having me. It's fun having you ask me the questions. Well, you know, we talked about that. We think that River Parish is with Dextrahan there. I think St. Charles Catholic has a chance. I think that down uh, Lutcher has a very, very good chance to, to get in there if they get by this week against St. Martinville. So that at Riverside definitely has a good chance. To, I mean, I think that not, not anybody in their class that can stop maybe one guy. But uh, anyway, uh, we appreciate that and hope to see you in the Superdome. Absolutely, Coach. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Thank Sam. So we much. appreciate it. We want to once again thank Sam Spiegelman for taking his time to come talk with us. In our next segment, we're going to have coaches discussing the possibility of maybe it being beneficial for the Catholic League to split. Football one-on-one, we have defensive coverages. And for thanks for the memories, Coach is going to talk about Terrell Fenroy. Uh, but before we go to break, we want to thank LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Ross supermarkets. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Licardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with R&K Construction. This family-owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. 
Smoothie King La Bois stands the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boudreaux and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. We are back in segment three of the Let's Be Frank video podcast. But we want to thank our sponsor, Riverlands Insurance, for sponsoring this podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has always been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. So, Coach, today on the Let's Be Frank segment, you want to discuss the possibility of the Catholic League splitting maybe being beneficial to their to their success level. Well, let me, let me first explain this. You know, the, the winds of football uh, are really, really evolving. I mean, look what's happening with the SEC. Uh, they're expanding uh, the, the, their, their team with Texas and Oklahoma. Look what the other, uh, actually, uh, Big Ten is expanding. Everybody's expanding. So the winds of football are changing. And this is a very, very controversial thing because you have the the very old guard, the blue bloods of the, of the Catholic League. But just, just a suggestion, if things stay like they are, and uh, the select schools stay like they are with the divisions intact like they are, in January, I think that maybe that might change because some of the schools might opt not to play in, in select level, and uh, they have to go before the board and, and get their, that clarified. But my thought was this, if it stays like this, the Catholic League needs to consider by playing in their own attendance zone. And now what that would mean that if you're in a Jefferson Parish school, you play in the Jefferson Parish League. If you're a New Orleans school, you play in the New Orleans League. And this would do. This would give them a nice, well-rounded schedule because number, the number one thing that these Catholic schools battle is not only playing in a tough, uh, tough district, but their non-district schedule. In some cases, they're playing. They're going out of state. Some are going to Florida. Uh, some are going to Alabama. Some are going to Mississippi to find competition. And because a lot of schools in the state will not play them. And, and that's understandable. I lived that. I lived that even at St. Charles Catholic when we were two A school. That a lot of teams would, would not would not play you. So my point is this: is that it is so much easier for a coach to go out and find three games than it is for him to uh, to find three nine district games or maybe two nine district games than for him to find seven or, or five. So the, the bottom line, what I'm trying to say is that. It makes it, there'll be more team to go in the playoffs if they would decide to look at this. They really need to take a, a good look at that. Uh, this is not a this is not a novel idea. It's been talked about in, in, in the circle some people. But if you bring this to a lot of administrators that are in the Catholic League, I was in the Catholic League for five years and coached there. I know that they think that the most important thing there is to win the Catholic League and their season is just about done. But I think coaches look at it totally different. And the, and the alumni might not because you got the you got the blue buds the alumni that think you know that that the Catholic League is the ultimate and it, they might be right. It's a great it's a great academic uh, district. It's a great competitive district, but it's really too competitive, especially since Carr has gotten in. And look at what Shaw has done. Shaw has, has moved out. Now they have a chance to move to be a quarterfinal team, a semifinal team, and maybe a Superdome team. And Holy Cross had talked about doing that years ago by mo- moving down in their, their actually numbers. Now, they can either do that. They can elect to stay 
in part uh, in the Catholic League, or they can elect to maybe go down and play in a numbers classification, and that would give them a lesser schedule and be a lot more competitive. And uh, because let me tell you, when you win a championship, it doesn't matter where you play. If a championship's a championship, and uh, so that's something that I think that people have to understand uh, where I'm coming from. Uh, that is something that they look at. It's it is it is unique in a way. Uh, it'd be very very interesting. But some of the people like it like it is. But if it stays like it is, especially with the draw, you just look at the bottom part of the D1 bracket and tell me that that's a fair bracket because uh, this is the other thing that's very, very important. When you come through there, you have a chance to get a lot of injuries. I think uh, Coach Salter from Agile, Holy Cross City had something like eight or nine surgeries on that football team this year and I mean, of, of starters. So when you look at the, the brutal schedule, yeah, the other people want to see the Catholic League stay together because they beat one another up. But the, the bottom line, is it really fair uh, for the LHSAA to, to look at that now? The LHSAA didn't have anything to do with this. This was their, their, their doing. Really, the, the Catholic League wanted to stay together for the integrity the way it's been. Uh, Shaw is a rare. They just, they just pulled apart. It used to be Chalmette used to be played in the Catholic League. So I just wanted to throw that out for food for thought. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that they do it. But uh, just, a, just another thought out there that, that uh, might uh, actually get some uh, momentum. Thank you, Coach. And we're going to go ahead and fast forward to our next segment, which is Football 101, where we lean on your expertise from your experience in coaching. And today we're going to talk about defensive coverages. Coach, can you go into some detail about defensive coverages and, um, and inform the public out there? I'll, I'll be glad to, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, sometimes what happens between a defensive and offensive coordinator, guys, it becomes a, just a big test, a chess match and offense coordinator has, has to, he has the quarterback. They know so much more now than we did years ago with, with simplicity in offenses and defense. But now defenses are changing every snap. Offenses are changing personnel every snap. Uh, it's really, really a unique chess game that goes on that the public's not aware of. Um, number one, um, there's guys with binoculars on each side. As soon as they trade a tight end in, for instance, they bring in another outside linebacker on the other side. As soon as they put another back in, in, in the ball game, they bring in another linebacker. I mean, there's a lot of that going on. When they, when they put more receivers in the game, here comes the nickel back or the dime back uh, in the ball game. So uh, behind the scenes, there's a lot, a lot of uh, a chess matching going on within the coaches and personnel. Uh, but the coverage, I'm just going to – there's a lot of them. And I'm just going to cover just the four or five basic ones of, and uh, that we have. Uh, number one, the, 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 the first coverage I'll call is, is called cover one. And cover one basically means that. It's that simple. And uh, their name for it, and a lot of people just give a, a give color name for it. Like that might be red or it might be blue coverage. And not to just say cover one so, so the opponent doesn't hear it or they can flash a number or something like that. So they might just use, most people use a, a code word for it. Whatever it might be, might be Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse and that the players associate with the uh, with those kind of codes and those kind of words uh cover one is a deep free safety man coverage linebackers are locked up on the on the backs coming out of the backfield sometimes that's a mismatch and and uh cover one can easily be made looking like like cover three but it's basically a man free with the free mean the free safety is very very deep and then nfl if you ever notice the safety might be 20 25 yards deep i, I, I marvel at that sometimes uh, how deep that they play but because of their speed they can they can make up ground cover two is exactly what you just what, you, what it sounds like it's too deep uh, two deep safeties and the two corners have, have, have the flats underneath 
and the flaps are it's actually the shell itself what it means about the, the configuration of it looks like it's too deep but then the, the two corners are up uh, they play about seven to eight yards off the line of scrimmage the safeties are t- 10 to 12 yards off the line of scrimmage and they're normally located close to the hash now for disguising purposes they can get off the hash a little bit and then move there uh, after the ball is actually snapped but cover two is exactly what it sounds like too deep and uh, basically anything the idea here anything over 20 yards strong those two safeties should reach it and at one time i didn't think that was possible until i did it myself i'm not sure but i'm pretty sure the pittsburgh steelers were the first one to invent cover two and uh, i experienced that myself and when i was in college and said I, I couldn't believe that because it looks like it's an open field but it, where it really really isn't uh the the other thing is uh, is um, a lot of people refer to cover two is five under five under linebackers too deep so that's another way to call it cover three is another coverage and it's exactly what it says it's three deep and so you divide the field in thirds you divide it one third between the hash mark the middle of the field with one third and outside the hash that's why the hash so 17 and two-thirds yard uh, football field 160 feet uh wide and so you divide the team in thirds it's called cover three so they play with three deep and four under so the weakness of cover three will be the the deep outs uh, or the, the flat areas will be the weakness of cover of cover three and normally dictate maybe a four or five man rush depending upon how you want to play it. But again, uh, some of these disguises can go from three to two or two to three. Uh, there, so cover four is the next one. Cover four looks a lot like it's four deep. It looks a lot like cover two, but the two corners will have a quarter of the field. So it's basically considered quarters. So that's a that's a you know a, another deal that and the two uh, outside linebackers responsible for the flats underneath. And uh, though a lot of people read that because if the second receiver goes to the flat, then the guy will level or the corner will come up and take the flat. Uh, it all depends on, on how they're playing it. But it's it was cover four was actually came into play when people started running four verticals. And four verticals is real, real tough on cover three teams. So that's why a lot of people invented uh, the, the cover four thing. Cover five is a combination. It's a combination of man to one side and cover two to the other side. So it depends on how you want to play it. So you play man to the strong side, cover two to the weak side. And if you don't know what you're looking at as a quarterback, you can get yourself in trouble. And that happens often. Sometimes you see quarterbacks throw blindly into a coverage and you say, I didn't see it. Well, sometimes you didn't recognize the coverage, but that's what cover five normally is. And it's normally used in special situation. Cover two man. Cover two men is actually, it's, 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 it's a man coverage, but it's a combination coverage. The two safeties play zone, but the, the men underneath lock up. And now cover two men is a very, very effective coverage, especially in your long yard situation. Basically used when you don't have a mobile quarterback, and one that's not expected to run. If you have a mobile quarterback, this is a dangerous coverage because you can, if he drops back to pass and you have your head turned, you're covering the, the receivers and he runs, he can run for 40, 50 yards before anyone sees him. So all these, are, that's, that, there are many others. There's many other coverages out there, combination coverages, robber coverages out there that people use in combinations and, and sometimes just to take away a certain receiver. But uh, all these coverages have merit. Uh, do you go into a ball game with all of these? No. You probably refine these and say, all right, I'm going to go in here with this and let's hope that this works and shuts them down. But you also have to have something in your back pocket. So basically that's football one-on-one with some variations and coverages. Thanks, Coach, for that information. And now we're going to go ahead and head to our Blitz the Ball Coach segment where somebody asks you a hard-hitting question. And, Coach, this is one that we've kind of had on the back burner for a while. But, you know, what advice would you give a first-time head coach? 
Oh, you know, that, Jason, that, 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 is, that is a huge, 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 huge question. It, it requires a, a lengthy answer, but uh, let me start with this. Uh, advice I would give, first of all, as a young coach, as an assistant, let's take from, from there. If you're an assistant, one, be yourself. Don't try to be. Don't try to be the head coach. Don't try to be somebody else. Be yourself. Don't try to copy the head coach because the head coach might be a different type of guy. He might be cool. He might be more intense and stuff like that. And so don't don't try to copy him. Uh, number two, talk to as many people as you possibly can to get information. And I mean, you know, when I first became an assistant coach, when there was a college coach that came and recruited my players, I got him on a board. We talked X and O's. I wanted to pick his brain and learn as much of that as possible. Three, go to clinics. Get as much knowledge as you possibly can. You know, I, I was coached for 50 years and I was still going to clinics. And I said, you know what? Why did you do that? Not that you learned something brand, brand new, but I wanted to pick up a term. I wanted to pick up something that would help me teach the kids better. Give me a term that would teach these kids better. You know, and, and uh, every now and then you'd write that term down and you would use it. You, you, would take it. you would take it back. So clinics were very, very important, you know. Four, be a loyal assistant. You know, be, do something before the head coach tells you because coaches don't, you know, being the head coach, I didn't want to have to tell this guy every game, you know, did you do this? Did you do that? I didn't want to micromanage the guy. You know what you have to do. Go ahead and do it ahead of time. That then your number one thing to do as assistant coach is to please the head coach. That that's very very important. Okay. And if you become a first time head coach, I, you know, be you know, make sure that you get loyal assistance. As an assistant, you want to be loyal to the head coach because he's going to one. If he moves somewhere, he might take you with him. If if not, he'll give you a resounding, resounding you know uh, uh, endorsement if for your next job. That's that's so so important. Uh, but once you become a head coach, make sure you show your board, your administration that you have a vision. And I give this advice to anybody. What I mean by that, you show them this is where I want to be. I want to build. A new weight room. I want to build a new field house. I want to. I want to do something. I want to. I want to be a great fundraiser. You need to show them that you have a vision. How are you going to do it? You know exactly how you're going to going to do it. They, I mean, there's a there's a lot of ways to go to Chicago, but uh, you need to do something that's different. I always like it. I would suggest take your football team to camp. One of the best things we did when I went to St. Charles and wherever I coached was take my football team to camp when we could. And I mean, and uh, raise money for it, whatever you have to do, because it's something that I mean, not many other people are doing. And I mean, it's a, it's solid, solid football for a whole week. And I think that's very, very important. And they will help you with it. Uh, another thing, always dangle a carrot in front of your administration and your board and the people that count. What that means, what it means, show them that this is what I want. I would like in the future, maybe it might be 10 years from now, but show them this is what I would like to have in the future. Whatever it's going to take, I want, a, I want you know, uh, new lights or a new, a new stadium. I want something. Big ticket items. Show them that you have a vision and that's where you want to go. And, they're going to, and who knows? And some big benefactor or someone might come up with it. Not just the, 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 tax, the taxpayer's money. Okay? And, um, and be, a, be an avid fundraiser. I mean, you know, I always like to fundraise because the reason why I wanted to spend it. I wanted to spend the money, but I didn't want to go to the administration and then because you have to go through red tape. But I wanted to say, okay, we raised this money. It's in our budget, this month amount of money. I want to be able to spend it on ticket items. So be an avid fundraiser. There's so many things that you can do out there, um, you know, whether it's a raffle, golf tournaments, or, or whatever, whatever it might be, you know. And, and last but not least, I think, you know, this, this, this is important, you know. Um, Work as hard as you possibly can. Uh, work as hard as you possibly can. Be the first one in the office and the last one to leave. 
because I, I think that's so important. You know, the 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 uh, they, they tell the wolves in, in the wolf pack is that uh, the, the the pace of the leader determines the speed of the pack. The pace of the leader determines the speed of the pack. So be the first one in and then the first one out. Thank you, Coach. And um, now we're going to go ahead and look at our thanks for the memory segment where you want to highlight one of your former players, Terrell Fenroy. Yeah, Jason, this is a guy that comes close to your heart. I mean, this is a guy, uh, he was he was such a such a, a great player. He played as a freshman. He didn't start all the games as a freshman, but he started as a freshman. Uh, he gained over 5,000 yards at, in his career at St. Charles Catholic. He had 82 touchdowns, 82 touchdowns in his career. Uh, he was nicknamed the train because he had this thing about when he would score, he would just pump his arm in the air like this as a train. And whenever you score, the people would go choo-choo. I mean, it was pretty, pretty cool. He was 5'8", 190, and I mean solid, no body fat on him whatsoever. Uh, he, he was not a wiggle guy whatsoever. He just ran you over, and he was hard to tackle. If he got in the secondary, got behind anybody, no one caught him. I can ever remember anybody running him down and, and, and catching him. His name was Terrell Fenroy. Terrell, I remember playing against Downsville one night. The first play from scrimmage, he ran for a 70-yard touchdown. On the way, on the way to a touchdown on about the 25-yard line, he started throwing up. And you could you could see he was, it was coming through his face mask and everything, and he scored a touchdown. He came to the bench, and we sat in the rest of the game, and no telling how many touchdowns he could have scored that, that one night. But uh, he was he was just a humble guy. He became Mr. Comet at, at, at Tulane. Uh, I'm mean, not too late at, at St. Charles Catholic and um, the, the players loved him. The teachers loved him because he, he was very, very quiet. Uh, his, his dad, he grew, right, grew up right there in the Myville and just a super, super player. Uh, very quiet. He, he went into law enforcement when he, when he finally graduated. And I mean, the, the players just loved this guy. He had played for Dwayne Duffy, had this so-called little league team called the Titans. Uh, they discovered him. And Dwayne, I remember him telling me, he said, Coach, wait till you get this guy. He said, he's the real deal. And he was so right with him and he had a phenomenal career there. He went on to ULL to play at ULL. In fact, he's one of four backs in the entire country to have a, a thousand yards in all four of his seasons. A thousand yards in all four of his seasons at ULL. So tribute to a guy, good friend, uh, very, very close to my son. He's very close to my son, Ty. Uh, they communicate often, and uh, he, he's now living in the Lafayette area. His name is Terrell Fenroy. So thanks for the memories, Terrell, for all the things that you did for the SEC comments. And Coach, if I'm not mistaken, he also set the Sun Belt rushing record at one point. I think it's kind of changed hands over the course of time, but um, you mentioned the time he had St. Charles. He was – I ran the balls in for you, and it was always fun when you, when you knew – when you could overhear the play and you could hear it was a run play – you just kind of like set your feet and see how see if you could beat him in the end zone. Meanwhile, he's run over three and four players on the way and still beats you by twenty steps. I mean, he was a lot of fun to watch even when I was when I was younger. But to see the success he had at the at the next level as well at UL was was incredible. Um, but heck of an exactly. athlete. And he was so. And you know what, Coach? A funny story too. Um, you know, I was younger. I I never played on the same team as Terrell, but there was one day when I, I would have to wake up to bring my brother to school when he had meetings in the morning and we'd wait just one day we wake up and we see somebody pulling a sled and it's six o'clock in the morning before school and see somebody pulling a sled. It's not a, a training session or a day. It's him pulling it back and forth and doing stadiums and 
you know, um, I just remember my dad saying, and that's why he is where he is. You know, I mean, just a hardworking guy and somebody that everybody respected in the program. And um, he's an incredible athlete. Amen. So, Coach, uh, let's go ahead and head on to our Lock of the Week segment. And, Coach, I've, I've had a really rough year. Um, <laughs> let's see where, where you stand in this week. Oh, my God. I'm going to go with Mississippi State, and I'm going to be a dog this week with Mississippi State. I just I think I think they played hard the other night. They didn't play smart, but they played hard. And I really think that Ole Miss's defense is, is somewhat suspect. Um, I'm actually going the opposite way. It's uh, I'm gonna take Ole Miss, um, which has uh, minus two and a half uh, over Arkansas. I think um, I think Arkansas is kind of licking their wounds a little bit after that loss against LSU. I, I think Ole Miss is gonna kind of have a little bit of a wrench factor, and I like the Rebels to rebound in that one, and that'll do it for episode number eleven. Coach, it certainly doesn't feel like it's been eleven episodes. I wasn't here for one, of course, but. 10 episodes it feels like yeah, it was only yesterday we were practicing and prepping and now we're, we're nearing the end but um again it's been, been a lot of fun i can't wait to be here next week with you as well before we uh read our socials any any, any final thoughts before we head out no i, I hope to have coach frank selfo i, I gotta contact him and but uh, he's a personal friend so hope we can get him on uh next week all right so uh, let's go ahead and plug our social medias remember you can follow us on facebook Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, Facebook is at the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok is at the LBF Podcast. We're also on Google and Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Uh, so, yeah, make sure you follow us. Let people know where to find us if you prefer to listen to the audio version. And I'll do it here. So, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. And for Justin Thomas and head coach Frank Monica, I am Jason Duey. And remember, once they ball, tomorrow, they love the good time, folks.